Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we hear exclusively from former world number one Dustin Johnson on his career so far, what it takes to win a major and his future goals. We also look back on his travellers win and discuss a hectic week for the PJ Tour where there were six positive COVID-19 tests. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, brought to you by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. For more, visit titleist.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name is Tom Clark and this week I'm joined by Elliot Heath. How are you doing, Elliot? Hello, Tom. Hello, listeners. And Sam Tremlett. How are you doing, Sam? Hey, everybody. Yeah, good to be back. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's been a busy week, shall we say, in the world of golf. Uh, but as ever, we need to start with finding out whether Elliot choked playing golf at the weekend or whether he managed to, to beat the uh, guy who I think he said was a 28 handicapper. Yeah, hello. Uh, lots to talk about this week, so hopefully we can have a good discussion. Firstly, I played Pine Ridge on Friday, which was a public course. And I was just saying to you, Tom, off, off the podcast, how how much of an experience that was as somebody who's been playing at private members clubs for, you know, over a decade now to experience the, the municipal was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was just a completely different way of golf. Like we saw people wearing t-shirts, hats around the wrong way. I saw some very interesting tee shots off the first tee and the guys I played with as well, they were, <laughs> they were so nervous on the first tee because people were watching and yeah, it was, uh, it was an experience. It was a great experience. I thought the course was fantastic for twenty five quid. I mean, Elliot, you do sound slightly snobby. I yeah, mean, yeah. Um, I, I know I do, but it's just you know I think a lot of guys listening to this who perhaps only ever play private clubs don't uh, experience it, and yeah, it's definitely worth getting out to a muni. You mentioned that uh, other people were nervous, Elliot. Nobody gets more nervous than you, surely on the. Uh... <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I was quite nervous as well because everybody else was and it was so busy as well. They must make an absolute killing at the moment. Obviously, it's been hard times with COVID, but uh, yeah, we teed off at 10 past six and there were still groups going out behind us and basically every single four ball slot was filled. How long did it take you to play your round? <laughs> we only played 14 holes. We didn't finish in time. Oh, OK. And were you as a four ball? Yeah. Uh, something else I noticed as well with... Uh, Obviously, there were quite a few golfers that don't play very often. The shout of four was not very prominent, so there were balls flying all over the place. <laughs> so that was quite funny as well. I saw a few beer cans in the bushes as well. I don't know if that's members of the public walking around. Uh, but yeah, I'd definitely recommend playing Pine Ridge. Beautiful tree-lined course. Was this the match you lost? or? No, no, no. I played on Sunday at oh, West, West Byfleet and lost my match there as well. But only a friendly. So I couldn't help but let that go. <laughs> so did you, so did, were, were you triumphant at Pine Ridge then? Uh, no, we were, we were just having a, a good time, really. Oh, <laughs> that means you play ball. <laughs> <laughs> One of the guys was playing his first round in basically a year. I think he'd only taken up the game about 18 months ago. He hit an eight iron off one of the tees on a par five into wind, which is quite funny. Did you, get, did you manage to get past him with your driver? 
Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell me, uh, tell everybody what you what the new technique is for your driving? Because you've got a bit of the driver yips at the moment, haven't you? That's what you would say. Yeah. Ever since lockdown has kind of ended and the golf courses have opened, I've just have not been able to keep the ball on the planet off the tee, slicing everything miles right. And yeah, I kind of lost the will to live a bit on Sunday. Stepped up <laughs> on the 15th tee, thought of Bryson DeChambeau, tried, you know, leant back a little bit, tried to hit the ball as hard as I possibly could. Must have hit it about 320 yards down the middle. <laughs> and uh, did that did that three times in a row. So that, yeah, that's my new technique. Just try and hit it as hard as I possibly can. Hit driver pitch and wedge into the last at West Byfleet. It's 500 yards. And you, you birdied it and you still lost, correct? Is that, is that right? Yeah, my uh, my dad had a birdie with a shot on the par five. <laughs> Sam, am I right in saying that you played golf last week as well? No, certainly not. I'm playing on uh, Tuesday after work because it's my friend's birthday I'm coming up. Sorry, next next Tuesday, sorry. Maybe this weekend. Apologies. No, I didn't play, unfortunately. Oh, and have you how many times have you played since lockdown now? Just once with us? No, twice. I've played um at Fox Hills with you guys and Hurtmore, this place, this uh, pay and play place. I've got it for sixteen quid, absolute bargain at five o'clock. I played with a friend who he's only just taken up the game and uh it's nice and wide. And so it's like the perfect course for like beginners and stuff. So yeah, it was a lot of fun to be honest. Um, a lot of driving par fours. <laughs> well, I haven't actually got a round of golf booked in at the moment, so I need to make sure that 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 happens. I didn't play last week. Uh, I was quite glad. I probably would have fainted in the heat. But all good. But let's move on from our our tales of chopping it round local courses to uh, to moving slightly further field to the PGA Tour. And the Travellers' Championship, where Dustin Johnson won his 21st PJ Tour title with a one-stroke victory over Kevin Streelman. DJ finished at 19-under par, helped by a 9-under par 61 in the third round. He's now won in 13 consecutive PJ Tour seasons. And having just dropped out of the world's top five, he now moves back up to third in the world. And let's look at these stats from DJ. He's now had 21 PJ Tour wins, one major win, won six WGCs had 91 weeks as the world number one and has won just a small amount of money, $63.7 million on the PJ Tour. Um, good to see him back in the winner's circle. Yeah, brilliant to see him back. First time in 16 months, I think, since last year's WGC Mexico. Uh, brilliant Saturday round, and then he kind of grinded it out on Sunday. A bit of a, a dodgy back nine, really. He bogeyed a par five and parred a drivable par four so they're two holes that you would have thought he'd, he'd make birdies on it was a good event uh brendan todd i thought played beautifully all week beautifully for the front nine i think he missed one fairway for the first 63 holes and then it was just an absolute car crash on the 12th hole making a triple bogey from just above the greenside bunker which basically handed dj the tournament but then he went out of bounds on the next so it was quite dramatic but Good to see DJ back in the winner's circle. Absolute class player. Yeah, he's, like his consistency uh, at the top is, I mean, it's to be applauded, to be honest, because like we, he makes look, winning look pretty, pretty easy a lot of the time. I mean, he did uh, um, after the break, after the enforced like weather delay and all that kind of stuff, it was a little bit shaky. And obviously, I think we should talk about the 15th hole, the drivable par four that he parred, but 
Yeah. Please, Sam, I know you're desperate to talk about that. I'm, so I'm so desperate to talk about it. Well, basically, right, I don't understand why the rough, so it's a drive ball par four, and he was hitting, I think it was a three hybrid into it. And along the edge of the water by the green, they've got this thick, thick rough, which I don't understand why it's there. Like, it basically, the whole point of it is to have risk-reward, correct? To, like, go for the green, and yet they've got this rough that essentially bails them out, bails these top players out. Because he's pulled, oh, DJ, as a prime example, he pulled his tee shot pretty much, like, it, it bounced six feet from the water on a downslope, and yet it still hasn't gone in the water. I, I just got a question: Why it's there? Well, let me play. Let me play devil's advocate then, because what happened after that was actually he had a very, very awkward shot, uh, and then actually didn't get it onto the green, did he? he it, well, he nearly put it in the in the water with his second shot as well, didn't he? So, although it was would have been better if it had just gone in the water, perhaps in course setup styles. They did actually work for that because he had a very awkward shot with a very awkward stance, and in the end, he actually had to do a great up and down with certain full shots to actually make par. I mean, I'm not having go at DJ like he's taken full advantage of it and everything. It's just as a as a basic how the course is set up. I don't understand why the rough is there. It's like the same as if you put rough on by the green on the 15th hole at Augusta. Because if you put it there, everyone is going to go for it if they can, because they know the rough is going to stop the ball from going in the water. Mm, yeah. I, I'm just not. I've just got a question: Why it's there? He should, to be yeah. honest, should have been punished for pulling it that far, kind of offline. And well, that, and, and I think that's another question, isn't it? And I think it showed. We showed for the first time, really, that actually, although there's no crowds there, there was an awful lot of pressure on that back nine on a lot of people's shoulders, wasn't it? I think DJ felt the pressure the way that he he played the back nine and Brendan Todd obviously felt the pressure although he's a fe- he was very unfortunate to get that lie I think uh, on that hole which he tripled you know I think there's there's bigger questions is what what was you know did DJ really have to hit that hybrid into that green he could have gone iron wedge easily into that that short yeah. part four and we all know how good his wedge play is you know why is he not doing that so I think there was an awful lot there's a bit of um scrambled brains going on I think I thought down, down the stretch, but uh, DJ, I think, just hung on in there, didn't he? Well, you're, you're, if you're Dustin Johnson, you're never going to lay off on a hole that you can hit the green with a three hybrid. He just yeah. hit a terrible shot. He said afterwards that he was struggling off the tee all day, and that was just a, a massive unforced error that he got away with and then kind of gave the shot back with a, a dodgy little chip. I think it's a bit of a silly hole, to be honest. If Arguably, he's one of the world's, well, he is one of the world's longest hitters and he's hitting a five-wood to the green. It's clearly not a par four, is it? I know, but I, you, you say it's a silly hole, but I saw an awful lot of very good players go into that water. I saw Roy do it. DJ obviously had issues. That, uh, there's, there's loads of people who, who, were, who were struggling with it, weren't they? Yeah, but basically everybody that I saw was just bailing out right and I, that just made for very boring viewing. I saw McElroy hit it to about eight foot on Thursday which was incredible. He missed the eagle putt in the end. But, yeah, I think they all just kind of bail out right from what I saw. I mean, I'm, I'm not for one moment calling it a boring hole. Like, it was quite exciting down the stretch and everything, the tournament. And, again, I'm not having a DJ because, I mean, he was struggling on 15-16. But then he, on 18, with a one-stroke lead, he hit an unbelievable drive to set up the par to win. 
So he deserved to win on that regard. I'm just all I'm saying is it's got to question why that rough is there. That's all I was saying. <laughs> anyway, I've got it off my chest. Yeah, Andy, I was going to say, do you think DJ was thinking about Elliot Heath on the 18th tee, and he just thought I was going to smack this as hard? As I was can. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he must have outdriven Brendan Todd by about seventy yards on that last yeah, time. Incredible. It. I mean, and you know, we're gonna if we're gonna talk about course setups and how far people are hitting the the ball and stuff like that. You know, is it that exciting when the leader who's leading by one or whatever on the seventy second hole has a wedge in to the par four? You know, it's not that exciting, is it? But it's because of an amazing tee shot, isn't it? So there's lots of things that we could talk about there. But I think let's let's talk about DJ because he hasn't been in the best of form. He's been going through a few things with maybe injury and changes as swing coach and, you know, all, all these bits and pieces. And, he, you know, as he dropped out the world's top five, what, last week or a couple of weeks ago, we did wonder whether he was going to come back to it. And he's done very well, hasn't he? Yeah, he's uh, a generational talent. I think we said this last year, didn't we? Well, we discussed it, whether he'll go down as one of the all-time greats. I think he will. You'll hear a little snippet of an interview we did recently with him where he believes that his career will get better and he'll win more majors. And he's certainly justified of that. Yeah. And and that's a good point, Elliot. Let's listen to DJ now. You know, as as you say, a snippet from a recent magazine feature interview where he spoke to Golf Monthly's Neil Tappin. So here is DJ. When you take a look back at your career at the moment that you're in now, Dustin, I guess take pushing the US Open to one side because that sort of is a real standout victory. What moments do you look back on most fondly? Well, I mean, that that would have been probably you know that kind of kickstarted you know my my pretty good run the last few years. Um, you know, obviously I was. You know, I, I was having good seasons every year up until then, but that kind of, you know, I was always, you know, kind of top 10. And then that's what pushed me to, you know, and kind of propelled me to get to number one. And I stayed at number one for a while. But, you know, that was probably the biggest kind of jump where, you know, it was two. And I think it was earlier that year we were at, uh, we were at, I think it was in L.A., when I got track man one part of my game that I you know going through the stats talking with Keith talking with my coaches you know where I could really improve was wedge play and you know it was just something and it was all on me because I just never really practiced you know especially not like certain distances where I had like so if my field was really good that week I was probably going to win. But, you know, then a lot of times, you know, your field can't be spot on every single week. So one thing that really helped me and really helped me get from being a good player to a great player was, you know, working on the wedges. Because no matter, for me, no matter how I'm swinging or how I'm driving, I know I can hit my wedges close. So, you know, especially on the days you're struggling, I mean, it, it can save you a couple, three or four shots around just, you know, being able to get up and down. Oh, for sure. For sure. So that was the big thing that, that sort of transformed things and made you, you know, world number one, I take it. Absolutely. So then looking outside of the majors, what would you say was the biggest achievement of your career? I mean, I don't know. They're all 
big. Every win is, <laughs> for me is, is very important and big just because it's so hard to win out here on tour. The guys, you know, especially if you, you know, each week anybody in the field can win the event. So it's, you know, it's not only you're beating, you know, you don't have to beat just the top 50 players in the world. you got to beat everybody that's in that field. And like I said, on any given week, anyone in the field can win. So, you know, it's very difficult to win on the PGA Tour. So, I mean, for me, they're all big wins. And, you know, I treat every week the same, whether it's a major or, or just a regular tour event. Um, I go into it and prepare like, like it's, you know, a huge tournament because they are. Looking at your career, the consistency is one thing that really stands out. I mean, I think that sort of streak of winning every year on tour is, is incredible. Um, what's the key to that consistency been? Um, well, you know, I've put, put a lot of work in. Uh-huh. So, you know, just, and then, yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it has to do with a lot of things. The, the work I put in, the, you know, you know, the amount of time I put in in the gym, you know, it's just a combination of, of everything. What does it take to win a major? I think if anybody knew exactly what it took to win a major, they'd probably win a lot more. <laughs> um, it, it, it takes a lot. I mean, everything needs to go go well that week to, to win a major. That's for sure. But, you know, it definitely takes patience. And, I mean, obviously, you need to have your, your best stuff that week for four days, which is really hard to do. Sure, but I guess at your level, the level that, that you know, the very top of the game, it's a, as much a mental challenge, is it, as a physical one? Or, or I, I guess, as you say, you've got to be on it physically, but then to win one, to actually get it's over always, the line. Yeah, it's always mental. It's always mental. For me, like the US Open at Oakmont in 16... That was probably the most focused I've been from start to finish in a golf tournament. So for me, it's, you know, and, you know, thinking correctly, you know, making the right decisions. So, yeah, mental, for sure, 100% mental. It sounds easy to do, but I know how hard it is. <laughs> yeah, it does sound easy, you know, focused for the whole time for four rounds. And, yeah. <laughs> Try to do that. Just try to do it. Try to focus the whole, the whole, every shot for one day. It's difficult. And and looking back at your career, or at least for me, it's difficult. Sure, it's difficult. I think it's difficult for everybody, isn't it? Looking back at your career, Dustin, from where where we are at the moment, do you feel like you're ahead of where you thought you would have been when you were first coming out on tour? Do you think you're in line with what you expected or behind? I mean, what were your ex- expectations when you first came out and where do you feel like you sit now? I mean, if you ask me, so the, from when the first day I stepped on tour in Hawaii, um, from that moment, I would say I would be, I'm ahead of where I thought I would be. But if you ask me, like, right now, if I look back on my career, I think it could have it should have been a lot better so far and I think it's going to get better but when you're first coming out on tour you've got you really have no idea <laughs> sure I mean to be honest I mean it's not you can say you know 
whatever you want, but you really truly don't know until you actually come out here and play and actually see and experience how good these guys really are. Was there a moment then in those early days when you realised that you were good enough to, to win multiple times and to go on to have the career that you've had? Well, I mean, I knew after, I think my first week on tour, I finished, you know, tried for 10th or something that in Hawaii, which probably isn't, uh, you know, you know, if you're looking at a golf course, it's probably not a golf course that's set up, you know, great for me, but, you know, I still competed and, you know, finished 10th in my first event, which, you know, was pretty good. So I, I knew at that point that, yeah, I had what it took to compete out here. So, Dustin, you're mid-30s. You've got a really good group of years ahead of you where, you know, big things could happen. What are you hoping to achieve? Um, yeah, I want to continue, obviously, continue, you know, doing exactly what I've been doing. Obviously, I'd like to get a lot more wins, um, you know, which is the goal for me is just, you know, put myself in position to win, but, you know, I would definitely like to get a, get a few more majors for sure. Cool. Lovely. I really appreciate that, Dustin. Thank you very much for, um, for, for joining right, me. Thank you. Okay, so there was Dustin Johnson talking to Neil Tappin. I thought some really interesting points that he made there, especially about where he is already in his career. And actually, he feels that actually he's ahead of where he thought he would be. Um, and he thinks he's got a lot of majors left in him, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, I think he does too. Yeah, it was fascinating to hear him talk. Like He's never really been the, the best talker, has he? But there were some really good points there. Uh, I loved where he said, basically, you don't have a clue what's going to happen when you get on to PGA Tour. And obviously, he's happy where he is, but he thinks it should have been a lot better. And crucially, he said he thinks it's going to get better. So, yeah, it was great to hear DJ talk like that. My favourite bit from the audio was when he was talking about how you have no idea how good you really are until you kind of get on the tour and play. I just like the fact that he, I mean, he came uh, tied 10th in his first event and he's straight away, he was like, yeah, I know I'm good enough. And to have the confidence to be able to say, yeah, I know it now. After one tournament, it's like, I mean, it's fair play. It's also testament to the level that he's been able to play at. That we were talking about. Oh, will he get back into the top five? He's only dropped out. He only dropped out the top five, and then the straightaway he wins again. So it's testament to how how good he really is at winning year after year after year after year. So I mean, again, probably need him to win a few more majors to be termed as an all-time great. But as you said, I firmly believe he's going to do that. I found that really interesting, all that audio, to be honest. Just when I was like doing the, the story, I just assumed he was about 33, 34 years old, but he's actually 36. So he's a lot older than I thought he was. And, you know, now are these years where really he needs to be picking up more majors. Yeah, I, th- I think it's now he's almost in his peak. You know, a lot of golfers do peak around their, their mid to late 30s, don't they? The thing is, he's such an athlete. You know, he you know he hits the ball an awful long way. He's got an incredible swing, hasn't he? So, you know, he's going to be around for a good few years, isn't he? And his game's hopefully going to get better and better. And you got to remember that the the uh, the event that you won last weekend that was a very strong field. You know, there's a lot of the world's best players there. There's an awful lot of disruption going on around everything, and. 
you know, I think it was a really, really top performance um, on a golf course where you have to play well. You have to get the birdies. You have to score well. Otherwise, you just get left behind. So uh, I think his game is looking in very good shape at the moment. And as I've just touched on there, it was a bit of a disruptive week on the PGA Tour, to say the least. There were six positive tests in the past week after Nick Watney's positive test at the RBC Heritage. So Cameron Champ, Ken Conboy, Graham McDowell's caddy, Ricky Elliott, Brooks Kupka's caddy, Denny McCarthy and Dylan Fratelli, and now also Harris English, which we found out about last night, all tested positive for COVID-19, which obviously is a lot of people suddenly that have been, have, have suddenly um, tested positive. And it's a, it is a big worry, isn't it? Yeah, we've heard Cameron Champ, uh, I think he's tested negative twice since, but he was like, I'm, I was really shocked. I feel in great physical fitness. But Ken Conboy, Ricky Elliott, like a lot of the, I'm not saying about these caddies in particular, but a lot of the caddies are like, you know, in their mid 50s. Some of them smoke as well. So it, it's quite dangerous. And, you know, the PJ Tour are making people wear whoop straps now, which uh, help detect respiratory rates I think so that is is helping identify them I guess uh, also they're not allowing players on site now until they test negative whereas before they were allowed on the practice screen so yeah that, that's good as well but I don't know yeah. six in one week is quite a lot isn't it? It, it it is and it is it is a big worry and you know it, it doesn't really matter what people's ages are about if they've got the if they've got the virus the whole point is it might not affect you in, in a way, but it could affect the person that you pass it over to. And it, it is a big worry. And hopefully it's the wake-up call that PGA Tour have needed. I don't understand why people were allowed on the property before they got the test results. That sounds bonkers to me. You know, Nick Watney was feeling ill in uh, the RBC Heritage. He had a second test because he wasn't feeling very well, but then was still allowed to go onto the practice ground when he was waiting for the results. That's just madness, isn't it? It just doesn't seem like they were really taking it seriously enough. That's the key thing. It seems like now, hopefully, touch wood, that the PJ Tour will start to take this a little bit more seriously in terms of allowing players back on. It seems like they are with, uh, with what Elliot's just said. I mean, to play devil's advocate, it could have been, considering how, from, from what a lot of players have said, like Justin Thomas, for example, that nobody was taking it that seriously. Could have been worse in terms of an, mm-hmm. an outbreak kind of thing, in terms of more like 10, 15, 20 players getting it. So it's not a total like disaster, disaster. But on the flip side, again, from what you said, Tom, and I agree that hopefully it's the wake up call that's needed. Yeah. So I, I thought last week on Wednesday when Jay Monahan was going to address the the world basically I thought that that might be the PJ Tour suspended again but it does sound like they're taking the stance that this virus isn't going away we can't just suspend it because it's going to be here for another six months or you know more than that and we've just got to learn to live with it yeah and, and I mean America as a country is obviously going through an awful lot at the moment which we all feel for the people involved with that but some of the states which had opened up and now look like they're closing up their their, their borders or their restrictions again, you know, closer to, closer to home, you know, uh, there's, you know, Leicester have already had to, to lock down again, haven't they? So uh, there's things happening all over the place. And there is one thing which the PJ Tour brings 
to the States, which is quite a lot of money. And I think that's, made for good or, or not, is, is what talks. And, you know, hopefully they can put some decent money into the economy, but hopefully they do it, in, you know, in, in, a, in a, safe, a safe manner. You mentioned about these whoop bands, which I'm not sure if everybody knows about, but they're kind of like uh, uh, fitness trackers on, on your wrist. So um, it's, a, it's a good idea, I think, especially as it seems that two people have actually realised that they were having some issues because of them. Um, but again, I think this has also all happened a little bit late, isn't it? It's all a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show, isn't it? You know, there's been there's been a there's been a little bit of an outbreak, and then there seems to be um, some action taken where it really should have taken place straight away, shouldn't it? Yeah, they had three months off to do this kind of stuff. So, can you criticise them? Probably. I know Ian Poulter said that they're doing a fantastic job. Some other tour pros have said that they've done a fantastic job. But uh, like what we were saying with Nick Watney there, and also the fact that this bubble is just, it's only contained on property. Once you're off property, you can do whatever you like. And that's, it's not good enough really when people's health is at stake. Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to see the European tour, when that restarts over here, are going to be a, a quite a lot stricter, I, would, I think. You know, you've got, I think you've got to stay on the property. You've got the, you can't leave. And if you do leave, you've got to get tested again and, and, and all this. You know, if you look at uh, what's going on with the England cricket team, I had to mention cricket as I do every week. Uh, Joe Roots is leaving the England cricket bubble to, to, to go and see the birth of a, a new child. And he will not be able to return in time for the start of the match. So, you know, they're, they're being, I think, a lot stricter around other things. And perhaps other sports are seeing what the PJ Tour are doing, see, using all the good things that they are, but then also maybe being, uh, maybe being a bit stricter as well. So we'll wait and see what breaks out this uh, this week. Hopefully, nothing too too serious. We hope hopefully don't have any more positive tests. That would be be nice to hear. I fear that we probably will see a few more, uh, and we'll keep everybody up to date with what's going on on the PJ Tour on our on the Golf Monthly website, uh, golf-monthly.co.uk, and of course on our social media feeds uh, at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram, and Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. But let's move on to some other news. There was the second Justin Rose Ladies Series event. Two-time LET winner Meg McLaren won at Moore Park. She finished at two under with five birdies and an eagle. And it was great to see another Englishwoman celebrating victory in this series. Great to see Meg McLaren win. Two-time LET winner. Looked really happy to win this. Won £5,000 as well. Got some good coverage out of it. So, yeah, well done to her. I think there was... Quite a mishap on the back nine where she hit the wrong ball, which resulted in a double bogey. But she was six under par after 10 holes, which, you know, is great going. And then this week we've got the next event and Georgia Hall's actually playing in this one, along with Laura Davies, uh, Charlie Hall's playing again, Meg McLaren's playing. So, yeah, so it's turned into actually a, a really good series. So good on Justin Rose. And, yeah, it's a shame it's not on Sky, like I said last week, but... Um, yeah, I was, was going to yeah. touch on that. It, it is a shame that um, we haven't actually been able to watch any live coverage of it. I know there's an awful lot of issues around around things at the moment, but you know it's great that they, they've got some events to play in. And again, well done for Justin Rose for, for get for making kind of making it happen. But uh, it would be great to see a bit more of it on TV. I think it would actually get quite a lot of a lot of viewers and a, a chance for all these great players to to show how good good a golfer they are. 
Yeah, and also another a news story that uh, came out this week was also um, Olympian uh, Callum Giles, a hockey player, he played in 96 and 2000 Olympic Games. So he did a charity event in which he mimicked a 16-hour uh, NHS staff shift by playing golf for 16 hours at Hever Castle. Uh, and he's raised over £6,000 in NHS. And you can still donate if you go to www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash CG16. So I think that's a really great cause, really great event. I think he had, I think he shot rounds of like 75, 78, 75, 80 odd. I mean, that's pretty darn good <laughs> uh, for, for 16 hours worth of golf. So if you can donate, I think it's a great cause, NHS. And I just wanted to shout that out while well played, Callum. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And uh, we've got a story on the Golf Monthly website about it as well. So uh, I'm sure if people just Google his name, uh, you'll find that all the details of how to donate as well. Moving on to uh, the week ahead, we've got another PGA Tour event. We've got the Rocket Mortgage Classic. It's the second Rocket Mortgage Classic this week at Detroit Golf Club. Uh, Nate Lashley won by six last year, finishing at 25 under. Probably one of the best and unexpected performances of last year, I would say. Uh, the cut was five under par last season, uh, which was the lowest since 2016. But the club has grown the rough this year, according to reports, to try and toughen it up. More rough to talk about, Sam. That's about excite you, won't it? Um, <laughs> we probably the field isn't quite as strong as the past three weeks that we've seen on the PGA Tour. None of the world's top five are playing. But Bryce DeChambeau, uh, Webb Simpson and Tyrrell Hatton are the top three tournament favourites. Good to hopefully see Webb Simpson back playing because he didn't play last week, did he? No, he had a family member test positive from COVID, so that was quite worrying. But, yeah, obviously he feels it is safe to continue. So, yeah, uh, he was briefly in the world's top five, wasn't he, until Dustin Johnson's win last week. Yeah, so do, do, do we think that following his win, what, a fortnight ago, that he's, you know, he should be favourite to win this, don't you think? Yeah, uh, probably should, but Bryson has had three top tens in a row and he's just on fire, isn't he? So I think DeChambeau should rightly be tournament favourite. So Sam, who are you picking this week? Who do you think is going to do well? Uh, so I've got a couple of picks because I did a little bit of research. So last year, Brant Schnellica came tied fifth uh, and he can be found as high as 50 to 1. There's going to be variation of odds depending on the way who you bet with. He's a little bit up and down at the moment, but I just think he's due. I think he's that good, this kind of guy. And it's also the kind of event just like, oh, Brad Seneca won it. Like that kind of thing. That kind of player. Um, and my second pick is Lucas Glover. So he can be found around 60, 65 to 1. So he's making so many birdies at the moment. Um, shout out to Justin Ray from the 15th Club because I found this stat. So over the past three weeks, Glover has had 61 birdies or eagles which is the most out of anyone since the season has restarted. And that is a good stat. I mean, and also 25 under, I know you just said that they're toughening up the course, but it's clearly a place where you need to make a lot of birdies and he's making a lot of birdies. So I think he's quite good odds. Yeah, I like that. I mean, Glover saw that his putting. He was really struggling with his putting a few years ago, but he's, he's really worked out how to get that firing again. Elliot, who, who do you like the look of? Uh, I've got a few. Uh, I will go for Brendan Todd. I think he was just playing so well last week, uh, hitting fairways as well. And if they are going to grow the rough, then you possibly want to look at somebody who finds fairways. 
which leads me to my next pick, which is the best driver in world golf, Victor Hovland, who has just <laughs> reached... I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> who has just um, become the first Norwegian player to reach the world's top 50. He has had three top 25s, I think, including... I think he was 11th last week, so clearly picking up some form. And yeah, he is the best driver in world golf, so... It's also great, though, are they? I'm, I'm just looking at Hovland's 20 to 1, which isn't bad, I suppose. I think the one that you mentioned before, Brendan Todd, I mean, he's been playing very solid golf this year, hasn't he? So he's won twice this year already. Is that right? Uh, he won twice in a row last season. Oh, yeah. 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 So he's 66 to 1, which I think is very long odds for someone who hit the first, every fairway except for one in the first 63 holes or whatever it was last week. That seems to be very long to, for me. Um, I'm going to go for a couple of people that you haven't mentioned yet. Sung Jae-im, very solid, played there last year, 22 to 1. He's obviously one of my favourites at the moment, underrated as ever. Uh, I think with some of the big names missing, I think he's got another chance to shine. And um, the other person who I quite like the look of is Christian Biedenhout, if I can say it right. I looked at him as well, yeah. Well, he's... a you know, again, someone who's been playing pretty solid, very talented golfer, 60 to 1. Uh, so check him out as well. For all the golf betting tips for this week, do uh, Google golf betting tips and go to the Golf Monthly Posts and you'll find four of my tips uh, going forward. One more. Uh, I'm going to, yeah. well, I like the look of Tom Lewis at 175 to 1. He won the Corn Ferry Tour Championship last year. Can go really low. Uh, I think he's had two top sixes already this year. Uh, so yeah. Look for Tom Lewis. Yeah, and he, he's obviously someone who always does very well at the Portugal Masters, which is one of those tournaments where you do have to make a load of birdies. And he's won that before. So, yeah, I think that's a good shout. He's definitely someone who can, who can go birdie crazy when required. And to finish off, I think we need to mention Daniel Summerhays from the past week. At the age of just 36, he decided that he was going to retire from playing professional golf to become a teaching professional. Um, so his final event was on the Corn Ferry Tour, and he managed to shoot a uh, final round of, I think, 62 to get into the playoff, and which he, unfortunately he, he then uh, actually got eliminated from. But an incredible way to sign off from his professional career, don't you think? Yeah, around his home course as well, with his brother on the bag. His family were watching through the fence with a, a sign, I think I said, best dad by par. I think that's what it said. But yeah, he was 10 under par, coming down the 18th hole. Unfortunately, bogeyed that hole, which... If he parred it, he would have won. So perhaps that summed up his career, which he described himself as uh, average. But, you know, he won over $9 million. I think he was third at the 2016 USPJ Championship. Uh, Never never won as a professional, which was incredible. He did win on the old Nationwide Tour as an amateur, which is the last time anybody did that. Uh, But, yeah, good on him. What a way to end out his career. Yeah, I mean... Fair play to walk away from the game on a high note. Sadly, we don't want to take anything away from Carl Jones, the winner of the event. But, I mean, it would have been great to see Daniel win. But, I mean, good luck to him in his future endeavours. Yeah, and he's not a bad coach to uh, to suddenly have um, looking at your your game. Someone who's, who's you know, very young. We already said but a lot of people are coming into their prime in their late, uh, late to mid-30s. So, um, that's exactly where he is. So, I'm sure he'll do a great job and our wouldn't be surprised if he uh, teaches a few pro golfers for the future. I nearly retired from the game of golf after I <laughs> sliced my sixth drive into the trees at the weekend. 
<laughs> Maybe you should give him a ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think on that note, we'll, we'll call it a day. Thanks ever so much for your time today, Elliot and Sam. Thank you. No worries. Good stuff, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoy the golf this week. Uh, as ever, do keep up to date with everything that's going on in the world of golf on our Golf Monthly website and social media channels. But until next week, we will see you then. <laughs>